studying in the book of Psalms in our race through the Bible in two years. We're halfway through it since most people would consider the 119th Psalm to be right about in the middle. We're going to get to that this morning. Um, The book of Psalms is divided up into five books. books, Yes. that's the only book I know of in the Bible that has books inside it. Um, and we're in the, this last one. Next week we finish the book of Psalms. So we, this is one of the longer ones we've been in, certainly. Oh, and we suggested that, um, although it's a little bit hard to categorize the book of Psalms in that it's it's a song book, you know, what what's a song book about? Well, it seems like the theme here is the story of kingship, beginning with the reign of David and proceeding through until there was no king of David's line reigning on the throne anymore, and the people were captive and they were wondering, what does it all mean? And in this last book, they finally uh, arrive at the true meaning that God is Israel's true king. Uh, and we'll see some of that in uh, in our... Psalms that we're going to do right, right off the bat here. So um, we're going to start with Psalm 111. And this is this, the general topic is praise the Lord. It, in parentheses, I put acrostic. Does anyone know what acrostic means? Through the alphabet. Through the alphabet. Um, and. In in Psalm 111, there are 22 lines. Well, if you don't count the first, leave out the first, praise the Lord. There's 22 lines. Each line then starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, How come we don't notice that in our translations? (laughs) Because our translation is not in Hebrew. Yeah, our translation is not in Hebrew. I found one psalm in English that's an acrostic psalm. It's not 111, but Psalm 25. We've got that on the board here. From the New Jerusalem Bible, there's one psalm. I was reading along. This has been several years ago. I was reading along this Bible and I came to this one and I thought, whoa, I can't believe it. <laughs> they actually did an acrostic translation of this psalm. Uh, so you can see the first verse starts with the word adoration. Second verse, or the second line rather, but third line calling and so on, all the way through V. How come they didn't go through Z? They ran out of space. Um, there's only 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so they they, didn't, they couldn't go quite as long as they could go in in English. But that's an amazing, an amazing feat. And that just, I mean, you think about that. I mean, they had to take some liberties with the translation a little bit to get it to all to get it, to do this. But you just think of the challenge of the of the author of any of these psalms that are acrostic psalms, and it made you challenge to get each line to start with the next letter. Now, there's one acrostic psalm that to beat all acrostic psalms. Anyone know which one that is? Yeah, that's 119. We'll talk more about that when we get there. Um, 
Well, I'll leave that on the one. Yeah. But the, the acrostic thing that might be uh, suggests that, that people memorize some of these songs. Yeah, I th that's a good point. Uh, um, it, they, it would have made it easier to memorize. I mean, you can just think about it. If, if every line starts with the next letter of the alphabet, you can pretty quickly figure out if you've if you got a line or if you got two lines out of order. Um, and oftentimes the acrostic psalms are psalms that are um, what are called wisdom psalms, uh, where they're, they're, it's more of a study instead of just an exuberant, um, wow, this is so great, I was in terrible shape and now the Lord rescued me. Uh, instead of that, it's more of a studied type psalm, a very carefully crafted psalm about, and usually a wisdom psalm would be about... Um, the wisdom of obeying God and the foolishness of disobeying God. And Psalm 119 that we're, we're going to come up to, that's definitely a wisdom psalm. It's all about God's law. Um, I don't know how many acrostic psalms there are. Uh, there's more than... Uh, there's at least seven. Fewer than a dozen. Um, the reason I don't know exactly how many is because different pe people will... Disagree over which ones are acrostic psalms because some of them, some of the ones that look like acrostic psalms might skip letters or, or have a couple out of order and, and you know, is this an acrostic or is it not? And in one case, there's two psalms in a row that if you if you combine them together without any gap, it's an acrostic psalm, <laughs> and that, that's pretty good evidence that there were probably one psalm to start with. I don't know when they got split up. Um, so how do you count that? Is that two? Is that one? The list I got the list I read that had seven didn't even this list that one at all. So and and there are some acrostics outside of Psalms. Anyone know where those are? No oh well the worthy woman in the the last chapter of Proverbs is is an acrostic. And um Three out of the four chapters in the Book of Lamentations are each an acrostic uh, poem. So we'll, we haven't gotten any of those. We'll talk about those when we get there. Any other questions on this before I switch? Okay. Um, so back to Psalm 111. Uh, praise the Lord. Um, in verse 2, what, what's a reason to praise the Lord? His, his works are great. Yes, they are studied by all who delight in in them. Isn't that great? Um, in verse six, another reason to praise the Lord. He has made known to his people the power of his works and given them the heritage of the nations. He gave them the promised land, took it away from other nations. So that that's a, a reason to praise the Lord. Um, verse nine. Another reason. What? What's that say? Ralph. Yeah. Yeah. He sent redemption to his people. Um, and so then it finally closes out. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. All right. Then. Uh, the next psalm is also an acrostic psalm. And 
it's very obviously connected with the previous one. The next one is the blessed of the one, the blessedness of the one who fears the Lord. The previous one is all about the Lord. The next one is about the one who fears the Lord, and that starts with praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. Um, now go back to the previous Psalm, verse ten. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. You see the connection. Um, the person who um, fears the Lord is blessed as, as it closes out the previous one. So, uh, G. Campbell Morgan makes a comment on this connection here. He says, A man becomes like his God. When a man's God is blessed, the man is blessed also. <laughs> uh, and to have a great God is to become a great person. And, and so, that, I think that's one of the lessons we get from the, the combination of these two. Um, in verse 2, uh, in what way is this man blessed? Children. Even his children, yes, uh, are, are mighty in the earth. Um, in verse 5, what kind of things does he do that shows that he is a, a righteous person? He lends. He lends, yes. Uh, you mean he's a loan shark? He's not the shark. <laughs> yeah, in in Bible times, it was very common to help the poor by loaning them money, with the unstated understanding that you're not going to ask for the money back. It's really a gift. And if any of you have loaned money very much, you understand that that often works that way. <laughs> and and it's a much cleaner relationship if you just go into it expecting that and you and just let the person know you know not to pay it back. Because I mean, if you're loaded to poor people, how are they going to pay it back? They, they, they don't. I mean, they don't have enough resources for today. They're not going to have resources tomorrow, plus paying you back. Um, so he lends and, and doesn't expect anything back. So in verse six, what's the blessing on him? He'll be remembered. He'll re- be remembered, and he'll never be shaken. Um, in verse seven, what what other blessings? No fear of bad news. You know how we live in a society that just seems to hang on the news, the evening news. You know, and if it's if it's bad, you know, I mean, and you may remember back on nine one one, you know, a decade or over a decade ago, and you know, probably the people you were working with at work were just you know terrified what's going to happen, and, and additional news kept coming up as the time went on. It was just but the righteous person doesn't fear evil tidings. That doesn't mean that he likes it when people, you know, destroy world trade centers and things like that. But he knows that God's in control, and and, and he knows that he's serving God, and God will be faithful to this relationship. And in verse nine, again, what has this righteous person done? Given to the poor. Given to the poor. Yeah, it's really the same thing as lending up, up above. Um, and I'll mention that that verse is quoted in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 9. He has given freely to the poor, his righteousness endures forever, his horn will be exalted in honor. I try to point out notable verses that are quoted in the New Testament, so that, that's one. Um, the next one has a title, the Hallel. This is actually the title for 
the next six psalms. Um, and they, they, were, they, they were called the Hallel or the Hymn of Praise. These six psalms, the Jews in Jesus' day, and I don't know how long before, but certainly in Jesus' day, they would sing these six psalms at certain feasts. They would sing them at the Passover, at Pentecost, at the Feast of Tabernacles, and at the Feast of Dedication. Um, and G. Campbell Morgan comments that this group of psalms is necessarily of special interest to us because in all probability, these psalms were sung by our Lord and His disciples on that dark night in which He was betrayed. You remember the Last Supper. This was the Passover. And, and by, by tradition, all the Jews would have, done, would have gone through these six psalms at that meal. Uh, the, the ISBE, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, says that at the Passover, the first two songs were sung before the meal, and then Psalms 115 through 118 were sung after drinking the last cup. And um, you may remember in Matthew 26, verse 30, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out. The hymn they sung was probably the last four psalms of the Hallel. Um, that, that was traditionally what the Jews would have done at the Passover. So it puts a little bit different angle on these psalms when you read them and consider Jesus and His disciples singing these at that, uh, at that Last Supper. So the first one, 113, praise to the Lord who condescends to lift up the lowly. Um, the, there's two halves of the psalm. It talks about how high He is and then how He condescends. So in verse 4, how high is He? Uh, Ralph? He's above all. He's above all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. So then, in verse 5, who is like the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? But what does He do in verse 6? He humbles Himself. What does He, what does he do in verse 6 to show how humble He is? Yeah. We look up at these stars and all this, you know, up in the heavens. For God, that's stooping down to look at those stars. <laughs> he condescends to look at that. And he looks down on us, you know, as one of the Old Testament passages said, a mere worm. You know, who are we? But God condescends to look at us. And then in um, in verse Six. He does more than just condescend to look. What does he do? Sorry, verse seven. Yeah. Yeah. He 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 raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap. So here you have a God that's so high, but he stoops down to help the very lowliest of people. Who has ever had a king like that? <laughs> no one has ever had a king like that. But our king, that is, that is our king. Um, all right, the next one in the Hallel. This one also probably sung before the Passover. Praise God for His power shown at the Exodus. Um, so I'll just pick out one verse, verse five. Um, I, I, I just I get a kick out of this. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? <laughs> yeah, here he is talking to the the Red Sea into the Jordan as if they could hear it. But what's, what event is he referring to? 
crossing. Yeah, the crossing when when God divided the sea and the and the Jordan when He stopped the waters. Um, and I said, so what ails you? <laughs> well, just a remembrance of of God's great power when He delivered the people from Egypt. We call that the Exodus. Um, Jesus called His passion and death on the cross His Exodus. He used that Greek word in. in um, at the Transfiguration, it says he was speaking of his exodus with uh, Moses and with Elijah. So this must have been a, a psalm to, for him to really think about as he was singing just before that last meal. And now we come to the psalms that were sung after the meal. 115, a contrast between the Lord and the idols of the nations. Um, the first three verses, of course, are about the Lord. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory because of Your loving kindness, because of Your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? Why would the nations ask that question? Well, they have their gods. You can see them over there. Okay, that's part of it. And he's going to deal with that a lot in this psalm, in fact. Yes. It's... Yeah, why would you get captured and carried off to Babylon if you had such a great God? Where is your God? And the answer is, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. And then He's going to go and talk about theirs. But but I want to talk a little bit about not to us, O Lord, not to us. (coughs) The fundamental sin and the fundamental temptation all of us face today, but this goes all the way back to being the fundamental sin is for us to want to take what belongs to God and give it to ourselves. And the ultimate thing that belongs to God is glory. And our pride causes us to want to get glory instead of God. And so, if someone insults us, we get very angry. Why do we get angry? Because the person is taking away our glory. That's what what He's doing when He insults us. And so... Verse 1 is a major challenge for us to really believe and really practice. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to Your name give glory. So, then he starts talking about the idols in verse 4. And what's what's noteworthy about idols? <laughs> yeah, they're made by men's hands. And so he goes through, this is, the next few verses, he goes through a list of all the things they have and what they can't do. <laughs> they have mouths, but what can't they do? They can't speak. Got eyes, but they can't what? Yeah, and then look down in um, in verse eight. What's he say about the people that make them? They're going to become like them. <clears throat> so the these idols are insensitive blocks of of uh, <clears throat> wood and silver and gold and all that. And the people that worship them are going to become insensible, just like them. This is actually a very important principle in the Bible and in our lives today. We become like what we worship. And if we worship God, we will become like God. If a person year by year, a Christian, is not becoming more and more like God, it's probably because he's not really worshiping God. Because you can come to church and not really worship God. You can sing the songs and that's not what your life is about. Uh, the last few sermons I've preached, I've, been, I've talked about how loving God means we delight in God. We enjoy God. When you delight in something, when you do enjoy something, you talk about it, 
It's on your mind. Everyone around you knows it's on your mind. And if people around you know that what's really on your mind is money or TV shows or any number of other things like that, they may know better than you what you worship. And the danger of that is that you're going to become like that. Well, our society worships Hollywood. They're all the time talking about the movie stars and what movies they're in and TV and all that. And what happens when they become like Hollywood? You know, their morals just go down in the gutter. And that's what we're seeing happening in our nation. So this psalm means much more than just people that stand up physical idols and become like that. Whatever we worship, we become like. Psalm 116, Thanks to the Lord for deliverance from death. I love the Lord because He hears my voice in supplications, because He has inclined His ear to me. Therefore I shall call upon Him as long as I live. And so now he's going to describe one event that really sticks in his mind um, when the Lord did hear him. Uh, in verse 3, how bad was it for him? He's just about to die. Yeah, the cords of death encompass me. A poetic way of saying he's almost to die. Yeah. And so what did he do in verse 4? Oh, Lord, save me. Yeah, save me. Um, th- this, is, this is a good commentary on why bad things happen to people. Because if we didn't have bad things happen to us, we wouldn't have the the blessing of knowing what it means to call upon the Lord when there's no one else that's going to help. We wouldn't know the blessing of that. And then be able to give thanks and praise to Him afterwards when He rescues us from that. Um, So, in the next few verses, He talks about how the Lord did you know, he, he, he says in verse 6, I was brought low and He saved me. Um, so then in verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits toward me? So what's His answer? What's He going to give to God? He will allow Himself to be saved. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think when He says He lifted up the cup of salvation, there's a, ce- a celebration. Um, now understand, this word salvation, to us salvation means saved from our sins. Um, but the word itself means saved from anything. In this case, he was saved from death. And so when he says he's going to lift up the cup of salvation, he's going to be celebrating the fact that God saved him from death. Um, and um, he's going to call upon the name of the Lord. But part of the, part of the result of uh, his gratitude of being saved is he's going to tell people about God. Um, I mean, again, you, you tell people about what you really care about. And, and I mean, you, you can imagine if if you were in a physical situation where you you were just almost to die, and and somebody, a human being, risked their lives and, and saved you, you'd be telling everybody about it. Wow, you know, you know what happened? That was so close. You know, my whole life passed before my eyes. You know, you'd go on and on about it. Well, the psalmist is doing that for for God because that's what God has done for him. You remember a time when Jesus um, was was being. Um, um, criticized in, in this guy's mind that he, you know, he didn't know what, what this woman's sins were like. And so he told a parable and says, you know, there was two debtors and, and, and one was forgiven, I think, 50, uh, 50 um, 
denarii and the other was forgiven 500 denarii. He says, who's going to love more? <laughs> the one forgiven more. And, and that, that's what you see in the Psalms. When, when the guy was saved from death, he is just really delighted and he's really going to thank God for this. Um, what do you think Jesus was thinking about when He sang this the night in which He was going to be betrayed? Yeah. He's going to die, but also His death is going to save all those who will turn to Him. Yeah, if He hadn't gone through that, none of us would be able to lift up the cup of salvation, would we? But God was going to save Him too. God was going to save him from the cords of death as well. Um, in fact, with the psalm may have had more meaning for him than for anyone else. All right. The shortest psalm. This is the shortest psalm in the Bible. Psalm 117. Um, I've just titled it, Praise the Lord. Um, Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud Him, all peoples. For His loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Sing it twice because it's short. <laughs> yeah, I like some of the songs. Yeah, sing it twice because it's short. Verse 1 is quoted in Romans 15, verse 11. And the emphasis in Romans 15 is on the, the nations. Uh, in the New Testament, instead of nations, it uses the word Gentiles. And, and the book of Romans has an awful lot to say about Jews versus Gentiles. So he quotes this one, that even the Psalms talked about the Gentiles praising the Lord. Alright, now we come to the last of the Hallel. Thanks to the Lord for rescuing Israel. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. And then in verses 2, he says, Oh, let Israel say His loving kindness is everlasting. He goes on and talks about Aaron saying this and those who fear the Lord. Uh, and then he's going to describe in, in, a, in the first person, in, like in verse 10, all nations surrounded me. I can't say for certain, but I suspect that the me is the nation of Israel. That this is a... Um, he's kind of personifying the nation as, as himself. Um, but the, if you read the next few verses and, and think about Israel, it, it fits very well. And of course, it could have been the me might have been a king who, like David, that would fit as well. But um, I'm sure when the um, in later years when the Jews sang the Hallel at the Passover and other times, they were certainly thinking of their nation for this. Um, so verse ten: All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. Um, in verse 18, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Again, if you think about this as being the nation, they were disciplined severely, they were carried off into Babylon, but they still they were still alive. He was going to bring them back. Um, and then verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, in the context of this psalm, what, what is that stone? And when I say the context of this psalm, I mean without referring to the New Testament. <laughs> Stone in the temple. Well, oh, okay, you're thinking like physically, they're building the temple and they find a stone and they reject it, but it turns out it's the most important stone there. But I mean, what does it represent in the psalm? 
He's using a figure of speech. The stone the builders rejected is something or someone in this psalm. Um, I don't think so, although it's it's related to that. Um, it's the nation of Israel. Um, if you the, the he doesn't specifically tell us who the builders are, but I, I assume they're the, they're the nations that are surrounding the nation of Israel. And they look at this nation and they say, "What a useless stone! We have no use for it. Let's get rid of it." Um, and yet, it's become the chief cornerstone. It's become the most important nation of them all. Now, as you know, of course, this gets applied in the New Testament. And who is it applied to in the New Testament? To Jesus. In the book of Isaiah, Jesus is actually called Israel. The servant of the Lord, He is referred to as Israel. Jesus fulfilled what Israel was supposed to be. And and so, it, it is very appropriate for Jesus to apply a verse about Israel to Himself. Because the very same experience that Israel went through, Israel people thinking Israel was useless, what, what, could, it, what, what could you ever do with that, was the very experience that Jesus went through. And in this case, it was the people of Israel that were viewing Him as useless. What can we ever do with this guy? Let's get rid of him. So that, that's, that verse, verse 22, is quoted a new number of times in the New Testament. It's quoted in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, and in 1 Peter. There's one other. There's actually two other verses quoted in the New Testament. Verse six: "The Lord is for me; I will not fear. What can man do to me?" That's quoted in Hebrews 13, verse six. And then verse 26: "Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord." Anyone know where that is? Yes, yes. On what we call Palm Sunday, when he came into the into Jerusalem. Everyone was saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees were telling Jesus to rebuke these children for saying these things. And, and Jesus said, Hey, if, I, if, I, if they're quiet, the very stones will cry out. <laughs> so that one is quoted in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> All right. Now we finish the Hallel and we come to. The longest chapter in the Bible, 119th Psalm. What's the 119th Psalm about? Some version of the law. <laughs> yeah, and you don't have to read it very, very far to understand that. Now, let me mention as well. I want to first start with the um, acrostic nature of this psalm. In fact, I forgot to put that up there. I should have put acrostic in parentheses. This is a real acrostic. In most English Bibles, you may notice right above verse 1 it says Aleph and it has a little fun little symbol next to it. And then down in front of verse 9 it says Beth and it has a fun little symbol in front of that. These are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. You know, we, we in fact, you can kind of recognize the word alphabet from Aleph, Beth. And that's where the word that's where it comes from. We, our alphabet probably came from the Hebrew alphabet through the Phoenicians and then to the Greeks and finally to us. Um, the, the, the letters don't look a bit like, like they do for us now, but in fact the Hebrew letters didn't look the same back then. Um, but the reason they've given Allah for this first one and then Beth for the second one is that 
Every one of these eight verses starts with the same Hebrew letter, Aleph. And then the next eight starts with the second letter, with, with um, Beth. And here is, this is in, in modern Hebrew. I don't, I don't have any picture of what the letters looked like back in Jesus' day. But, um, and I don't know Hebrew, so I, I can't tell you what these words mean. Um, although I did actually look up that first one. The first one means praise. Uh, or I don't think that... No, it means blessed. blessed. Yeah, it means blessed. Um, Hebrew is written from right to left. So the Aleph is on the right-hand side. You go down the right-hand column, you can see Aleph, 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 all the way down there. Um, and then in the next eight verses, you have this next character called Beth. And it, every one of those words begins with Beth. And it's going to go on for, for all the 22 letters in, in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, there's a couple of things before I leave this. Uh, these little funny symbols underneath the line were not there in Jesus' day. Uh, those are called points. They are the vowels. Uh, the, the, Hebrew, the, alpha, the Hebrew alphabet doesn't have vowels. It's all consonants. Although it's hard for me to figure out how Aleph can be a consonant, but for them it was. Um, and sometimes, several hundred years after Christ, the, a group of scri- scribes, Jewish scribes called the Masoretes, became worried that people were forgetting how to pronounce the Hebrew words. Because you can imagine, if you write all your words without any vowels, you, um, you, have, you have to know how the words pronounce because you know, the vowels aren't there to show you. So these things underneath here, these dots and various uh, and, and T's and things like that, those are vowels. Um, and if you today, if you go to Israel and you buy a newspaper in Hebrew, they don't put those points. Um, they just they just do the consonants. You're supposed to know <laughs> how, to, how to read it. All right. Now, the next thing I want to do is talk about the word law in in this 119th Psalm. It's all about the law, but there's more than one word used in the Psalm for law. In fact, I'm going to put ten by the time we're done here. Um, in verse one, he mentions law, but in verse two, he mentions a different word that means much the same thing. What is that? Testimonies. Testimonies. Then in verse three, another one. Ways. Ways. Yes. In verse four, precepts. precepts. In verse five, statutes. Uh, in verse six. Commandments. In verse 7, <laughs> judgments. In verse 8, oh, he reads you statutes again. Okay. Uh, verse 9, word, yes. Um, and then verse 10, we already had commands before. Verse 11, word, we had that before. Verse 12, statutes again. Verse 13, ordinances. And then I've got one more, and you may argue whether this is a unique one, but all the way down to verse 43, um, I've got word of truth. So we've got ten different phrases uh, used for law. And he just kind of mixes and mashes them all the way through, just con- you know, using one. He hardly ever uses the same one two verses in a row. And you notice... It's very rare to find a verse in this entire chapter that doesn't have one of these terms in it. 
In fact, of all the verses we've read so far, we haven't found a single one yet that doesn't have this. I, um, I don't know how many there are. There's just a very handful. Verse 122 is one that I found. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. A whole verse, he didn't mention the law in it. <laughs> um, well, that's why I have at least had different ways to say law. Yeah, otherwise it'd get a little bit boring. <laughs> yeah. And it's a little bit, and you probably found it a little bit different, difficult chapter to read. Um, there's no story to it. It's almost like reading uh, chapters in the book of Proverbs, because each verse will just almost start to start over again. Sometimes there's a few verses in a row that, that will be connected. And generally, those are in one of the sections, in one of the sections of eight verses. Um, but, I, but I want to just kind of look through to try to pick up some of the key verses in the psalm. Verse 1, How blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. That goes back to Psalm 1. The, the psalm starts with the blessing of the, of the person that, that is, is walking in God's, uh, in God's law. And that, that psalm kind of gives the, the Psalm 1 kind of gives a theme for the whole, for the whole book. Um, verse 2, um, I want you to notice, who seek Him with all their heart. This, this again goes back to this theme of delighting in God. It, it's not just a matter of, you know, we're, we're obeying his, his law, but we're doing it with all of our heart. Uh, Paul said when he was urging the Corinthians to, to make a, a generous gift to the Jews, he says the Lord loves a cheerful giver, someone whose heart is in it. Uh, verse 11, what does the Word do for him in this verse? Sin. Keeps him from sin, yes. And we, need, we need to understand that. I mean, anyone that delights in God hates sin. And he hates it in himself. We, we see sin in ourselves and we don't like that. And we, we would like to change. So we ask God, God, please change me. Don't, don't let me sin anymore. One of the ways in which God does that is when we read His Word, when we study His law. That It, it helps us to keep from sinning. Um, verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. There's that word delight that I've been using. Um, I, I like verse 18, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. That this this man that's writing this psalm, I don't know who it was. This man that's writing this psalm, just delights in these things. It's it's not a drudgery for him. Although I'm sure, uh, like all of us, he found uh, certain parts of the law more interesting than others. <laughs> Perhaps the first few chapters of First Chronicles might have been a struggle for him as it was for us. But uh, verse 27, he's asking God to help him understand the law. And, and, and as, we, as we read these chapters, we ought to be spending time with God in prayer asking the Lord, help me understand this. Um, verse 36, um, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my, my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Another way of talking about how he, want, he doesn't want to sin and he wants God to help him put away sin. And then, what does the law give him in verse 45? Liberty. Liberty. Yes, the person who follows God's law. And the world, you know, face it, the world looks at people who follow God's law as being severely restricted. I mean, it's like wearing a straitjacket in their view. 
But here the psalmist says, I walk at liberty because I follow God's law. We have true freedom. And if, and if you watch these people around you for very long, these people that think you're, you're just kind of being bound by a straitjacket with you know, having to obey God's law, you watch them and you see they are slaves. They are slaves. And they get themselves in all these terrible situations and they wonder, you know, why me? <laughs> They're not walking at liberty, that's why. Yeah, John. In a wide place, yes. We, we, we're not restricted. We have lots of room. It's it's the it's our our friends and our neighbors in the world that are the ones that are restricted and that are limited because of their slavery to sin. Um, then verse forty six. What's he going to do? Speak about. He's going to speak about it again. You know, just like you know, if the person rescues you, you're going to tell about it. So he's going to tell people about God. It doesn't matter. Even kings, he'll talk to everybody about it. Um, and in verse 63, who does he like to hang around with? People yeah. People who also appreciate God's law. And that again goes back to Psalm 1. And then we've had a number of psalms about that, about um, you know, avoiding the, the companionship of the wicked and enjoying the companionship of the righteous. Um, now, another theme comes up in verse 67. What is that theme? Affliction. Yeah, we don't like to think about that. You know, bad things and affliction comes in all different sorts. You know, affliction could be poverty, it could be sickness, um, it could be people around you that hate you and make fun of you, or, or all kinds of stuff like that. And he doesn't say what it was, but what did affliction do for him in a good way? In verse sixty-seven. Yes, it helped him to keep the word. We need to understand that when, when bad things happen to us, talk to God about helping you to learn the lesson He wants you to learn from it because God never intends these things for bad. They're intended for good. Um, in verse 71, what's He say about affliction? It's good. It was good that I was afflicted so I could learn your statutes. Um, and then in verse 74, what is His hope? That those who fear God would see Him and be glad. <laughs> Are you living your life in such a way that people that fear God will see you and be glad? That's the prayer that this man has. Um, in verse 75, I know, O Lord, that Your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness You have afflicted Me. That's the attitude God wants us to have through all of our suffering and trials to understand that, that God is doing good for us. Even if we don't understand why or how it's going to work. Um, then in verse 92, he again looks at his affliction and what's he say could have happened if? He would have perished in his afflictions if what? If he had not delighted in the law. So there again, we have to understand that Reading God's Word and studying the law it is a help in our affliction. It, it, it helps us to put the right view on it. Uh, verse 96, I have seen a limit to all perfection. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. I think when he says all perfection, he's talking about outside of the law. 
everything, everything that man does, you know, the most perfect artist, the most perfect scientist, the most perfect whatever you want to think of, there's a limit. But there's no limit to the perfection of God's commandments. And in fact, when we look at how well any human being obeys God's law, we're going to say, wow, there's a real limit of perfection there. There is nobody that obeys it to the extent that God intended it to be obeyed. Verse 97, Oh, how I love your law! It is my meditation all the day. In verse 99, I have more insight than all my teachers, for my, your testimonies are my meditation. God's law gives us great wisdom so that this man has actually understands better than even the people that taught him because he studied the law. And verse 105 is a very famous verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We can see where we're going when we have God's word to guide us. We're not stumbling around in the dark. Uh, verse 136. Why is he grieved in this verse? People don't keep God's law. And, and again, this is another mark of the Christian. If we're grieved at sin, uh, because the people in the world rejoice at sin, they like to read about it in the papers, they like to watch it on TV, they rejoice when other people sin. Um, it needs to grieve us. It grieved him. 165. Those who love your law have what? Great peace. And nothing causes them to stumble. The New Testament talks about the peace that passes understanding. And finally, 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Now, does that surprise you a little bit? After this whole chapter of how much he loves the law of God, how he's doing what's right and all this, at the very end he says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. There's a man who understands God's law. Anyone who thinks, hey, you know, we've got this down pat, we're doing what God wants us to do, they don't understand God's law. God's commandments are exceedingly deep. And our sins, unfortunately, just they run way deep. It's it's a it's a very big grief. Um, let me do one more here. I'm going to introduce this next section. This is a group of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. So we get this from the title. Uh, each of these it says a song of ascent. Um, and it, for 15 psalms in a row, they all say a song of ascent. And different people have studied and have come up with different guesses as to what this means. In, in, in my somewhat uninformed judgment, I think the best explanation for it is these were the Psalms that the, that the Jews coming to Jerusalem for the feast would chant on the way as they ascended the mountain up to Jerusalem. So they were songs of ascent. Because these, when you're going to the Passover or, or another one of the feasts, you go in a group. Here's a big, big group of your relatives coming from Galilee and you journey for several days. And finally, the last phase of the journey is from Jericho up to Jerusalem. And it's uphill the whole way. It's, you're ascending. So you have these songs of ascents. And you sing these songs as you look forward to, to observing this sacred feast uh, in the temple in just a few days. So the first one, 120, is a prayer to be delivered from liars. And we'll look at verses 6 and 7. 
Uh, Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And and that's a grief. I mean, when you think about your when when we're around people that do not appreciate spiritual things, they don't understand what it takes to make peace, and, and they 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 just have the world's attitude, and it's just a big grief. Um, and of course, the whole psalm is about the people that are lying about uh, the psalmist, and and he's he's grieved about this. Well, we have to stop. I appreciate everyone's help. We'll start with. 121 next time and hopefully finish the whole book.